us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today's podcast is about botanical excursions in the Smokies. But first, a little bit of, uh, of housekeeping and then a, a little introduction of uh, my, uh, my, my life that uh, is, I think, applicable here. So anyway, imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel, a place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventure starts with where you stay. Another sponsor is Smokies Adventure. That's Smokies plural, adventure uh, singular at smokiesadventure.com. It's a place where you can find information and listings about the Smokies, hiking, wedding venues, books, trail maps, resources. The emphasis of Smokies Adventure is outdoor recreation outdoor life events like weddings and adventures, along with providing information on lodging, family entertainment, events, conventions, honeymoons, and more. It is, the, it is becoming the leading information portal for the Smoky Mountains. Uh, an upcoming event I'd like to uh, mention is traditional, uh, traditional Skills and Naturalist Weekend, August 27th and 29th at the Meadowlark Mountain, Smoky Mountain Heritage Center, which is at the Meadowlark Motel. Uh, it's ginseng, granny medicine, and herbs. It's the, the exploration of the botanical lord, lore of the mountains and with a weekend of lectures, wanderings, and entertainments. Friday, there will be some traditional music in the evening with Will Ritter and Mike Ogletree. Saturday, the 28th, there will be wildflower and native uh, plants of Southern Appalachian with a tour and guide, tour guide and naturalist Adam Bigelow, who's our guest today. The healing powers of history of ginseng will be explored with novelist and naturalist Jim Hamilton. Medicinal herbs and granny medicine will be explored with Renee Winchester, who is a naturalist, herbalist, and award-winning author. There will be a program by Tyson Sampson, an acclaimed Cherokee naturalist, historian, and lecturer. There will be an afternoon of wood wa woods wandering and discussion with the renowned naturalist, tour guide, and lecturer, and author, Abby Artemisia. There'll be an heirloom seed discussion with uh, Will Ritter. There'll be a, then a, some entertainment, a traditional Scottish music of the Highlands with Mike Ogletree, and uh, who's the former drummer for Simple Minds. And there'll be a song, song to Seed concert with William Ritter exploring the bluegrass and folk music of the mountains, along with a little bit of storytelling. And then on Sunday morning, we'll, you'll, be, you'll be sent off with a traditional mountain gospel music service. You know, when uh, I, I, we booked this, booked this show, you know, talking about botanical 
and uh, you know, and, uh, and 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 herbs and met plants in the mountains. I saw that the guest was involved with community gardens. Uh, it took me back to my my childhood and the memories of my grandmother's both grandmother's gardens, and I got to work in both my grandmother's gardens, one in Iron Duff and one in in uh, Fox Run, and both in Haywood County. Uh, and they really um, taught me a lot about gardening. My my grand, the one in Fox Run was more about real, real vegetables and flowers, while the one in Iron Duff was, you know, corn and uh, and beans and squash, the tr tr the traditional three sisters, along with lots of berries and and uh, and things like that. And so there was this poem. I sometimes like to read poem on here. I went out and found and sort of so, you know spoke to me about um, that, um, and it's called String Beans by Wendy Hammond. Perhaps grandma taught me to snap the string beans for anxiety relief. Maybe she knew more than I gave her credit for. Because here I sit 40 years later in the middle of it with a bowl of tense green beans and a pile of little endings I need to throw away. On a hot summer day in the middle of July, I split my fears and eat my tension every seven times. And I see grandma's hands showing mine, breaking off the split ends of life, one bean at a time. That was really nice. So, um, you know, and I think life in the life in the uh, and growing up in the mountains is is about that. You know, grandmothers and mothers teaching children about you know the the pulse of life and the nature's bounty and how it can you know be an important part of living. Um, my guest today, Adam Bigelow, I think knows a lot about that. He lives in rural Jackson County, North Carolina, and is a well-known environmental and community activist, as well as an outstanding musician. In addition to his work as an activist and artist, Adam runs his own business, Bigelow Botanical Excursions, where he teaches folks about the wonders of the natural world in Appalachia. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing great today, Joseph. Thank you for having me out here. Cool. And you're in, are you in uh, Silver right now? I'm actually uh, in Cullowee, up okay. on a mountaintop at around 3,600 feet on top of uh, Tilly Creek Road, right at the uh, headwaters of Tilly Creek. So um, are you originally from uh, th that area? Oh, no. Uh, as they like to say here in Southern Appalachia, I ain't from around here. <laughs> and... Uh, Bigelow is certainly not a, uh, a traditional Appalachian settler name. I grew up on the coast of Virginia in Hampton, Virginia, and I grew up um, disconnected from nature, not uh, any way connected to gardening, surrounded by streetlights and sidewalks and riding skateboards. So uh, I've come a long way from there. Oh, yeah, you did. So, uh you're, I mean, you, your talents would have allowed you to live anywhere you wanted to, but why did you end up in the Smokies? You know, how I ended up here uh, is kind of an accidental thing, like a lot of, uh, of uh, things when we look back on life, they're kind of random, uh, but then they eventually make sense. And I've lived here in mostly in Jackson County, a little bit in Macon County uh, since 1993, and I moved up here to go to... Uh, college at the local community college to study radio and television production. Oh, wow. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't really finish that out, but I fell in love with these mountains and I've lived here ever since. And I hope to live 
in Southern Appalachia for the rest of my life. Oh, cool. Was that Haywood Community College? It was actually Southwestern Community College. I see. And then yeah. did you go to Haywood Community College as well? I eventually did go to Haywood Community College after a long uh, circuitous road that led me to uh, finding a love of plants and, um, and flowers. And so I went uh, as an adult and studied horticulture at Haywood Community College. Yeah. I, and I know that horticulture and farming are actually big and successful programs there. They, uh, they have been in the past. Yeah, the horticulture program has a, a lot of a long history of really influential uh, graduates in the region, but yeah. for the horticulture and for the uh, forestry and natural resources department. And then you did, then you went to Western Carolina University, right? Yeah, I did. I studied uh, uh, environmental science at WCU in Cullowhee here after getting my degree in horticulture. All right. So mm -hmm. you, uh, you, got, you got educated. <laughs> I did. And I went back to college as an adult. I, uh, um, I got my bachelor's degree from Western uh, six days before my 40th birthday. Well, congratulations. All right. Well, that was just like, a, that was just a few weeks ago then, right? Uh, yeah, or 10 years, something like that. <laughs> oh, so now you're a notable environmentalist and, and you're passionate about botany uh, and the natural world. And you mentioned you got interested in plants. How did that passion evolve, you know, during the, that time between, you know, uh, Southwestern and then Haywood Community College? What led to that passion? It's all, again, by accident. And uh, I am definitely a plant nerd. And somewhere around 20 years ago, I fell in love with wildflowers um, accidentally. I'd been, you know, living here for a while and working mostly in restaurant jobs, but I, uh, I enjoyed going hiking. Um, at the time, it was mostly about a destination. What waterfall are we going to see? What big view? What big mountain are we going to climb up? And the travel in between was just drudgery and trying to get there as soon as I can, walking very fast. But I had a friend that took a, um, uh, a botany course at WCU way before I ever went there and uh, got, uh, was lucky to take classes with Dr. Dan Patillo, retired botanist from the university. And so as we were hiking, they started uh, talking about and pointing out some of the flowers, but I didn't really still have an interest there. Um, uh, what actually led me to... Uh, Getting into plants was um, a bit of a, a accident. I went and got a job at a big box store in Franklin, and they randomly put me out into the garden center, and uh, the rest is history. Now I love plants. <laughs> cool. And uh, did you find some mentors along the way? Oh, uh, very much. You know, everything from Miss Betty, who worked at the, uh, the outdoor garden center and knew all the plants at the time. Um, to uh, um, one of my main uh, friends and mentors in this work is a uh, retired ethnobotanist, uh, uh, Dr. David Cozo, who uh, up until recently was working out on the Kuala Boundary in Cherokee and uh, is a medical ethnobotanist and studied um, uh, the relationship of humans and plants from a Cherokee and indigenous people of the southeastern tribes perspective um and one of the but one of the most influential things in my education and life 
um, was uh, right before starting horticulture school, I read a little blurb local paper about a, what I thought was a small, no big deal thing called the Cullowy Native Plant Conference. So I signed up. I said, I'm going to go study plants. Let me go to this local conference. And what I walked into was the largest and oldest native plant conference, at least on the East Coast and possibly in the country. And these are the folks that have had the biggest influence on me. So you found your community. <laughs> I only did. Plant, I, the, I planted plant myself <laughs> in. I planted myself in with a fellow plant nerds. And one of the amazing things about the Cullowy Native Plant Conference is it's not specific to one field of study or one trade. There's botanists, there's horticulturalists, there are nursery workers, landscape designers, home gardeners. Everyone comes together from all over the southeastern U.S. to uh, Cullowy, uh, third week of July, to share uh, their love seeing native plants used in the landscape. Cool. I'm back. I want to explore uh, more about your influences and what you've done uh, with those men and education that you've got. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast with my guest Adam Bigelow. So, uh, Adam, there's been a, there's a lot of great naturalists in this area, like uh, I, I think Isla Hatter and George Ellison and Dan Fitello. Uh, those are just a few that come to mind. Uh, have they been influences on what you do? All three of them are big uh, players and and educators and leaders in in um, uh, the botanical and naturalist world that I live in here in Jackson County and Southern Appalachia. Um, especially inspirational to me has been uh, Miss Isla Hatter. She's such a wonderful treasure for these um, Great Smoky Mountains and an educator and keeping alive the uh, traditions that she was raised with, as well as um, she's been very encouraging to me in my work as I set out to try to teach people about plants and flowers. And it feels really great to um, have her friendship as well as encouragement, yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's always nice to have those, uh, those, uh, those uh, relationships that help blossom what you're doing. Uh, oh, yeah. And speaking about uh, what you're doing, you, you started out doing some interesting things right out of HCC. Uh, you did a, uh, you started building your own biodiesel equipment. How, what, what was that project about? Yeah, so um, I had been uh, looking into, you know, I've been uh, definitely interested in environmentalism since I was in high school, which uh, was a long time ago. And uh, while I was studying horticulture, I was looking at um, potential uh, growing different feedstocks for making biofuel and biodiesel became an interest. And so um, I guess I had talked about it enough that when... Um, the uh, uh, Haywood Community College Automotive Department and um, a couple of local environmental organizations won a grant to start to build a biodiesel reactor. I was hired in um, to manage that project. And so I got a uh, firsthand experience in um, both uh, collecting uh, waste fryer grease from the local school system 
and also uh, learning quickly the science and application of the process of turning um, vegetable oil into diesel fuel. And uh, over the course of the grant funded project, we built a, a small scale biodiesel reactor at the college and made about um, 500 gallons of fuel, taught one continuing education class and recorded a nice little video about how to do it. It was really interesting. Did that, did, was, uh, I mean, what was the intent? Was to try to get uh, a, a sort of an industry happening or get farmers to do it or what was the- A intent? little bit of both. It's, um, there is still one of the um, remaining biodiesel manufacturers in North Carolina is based out of Asheville with Blue Ridge Biofuels. And so one of the things that community college is always trying to do is workforce development and train people to work in an industry. I At see. the time, there was a lot more uh, uh, support um, politically and economically for biodiesel manufacturing. And uh, that, that support in many ways had been taken away over the years ensuing, but Blue Ridge Biofuels is still able to uh, withstand that and are thriving as a business. I hope because I buy my fuel from them these days. You have a biodiesel car, right? I do. I drive a, uh, an old Volkswagen Jetta um tdi um uh, from 2005 and i uh buy my biodiesel um in bulk from blue ridge biofuels now and so i have a little uh, uh uh fueling station up at my house where i fill up my car um it's a really interesting thing when i when i fire up my car and or any biodiesel run um vehicle it, it smells like french fries <laughs> so you, you 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 have trouble controlling your weight. <laughs> That's right. It makes me hungry. I get I get snack urges all the time driving down the road. Is there and one thing that uh one thing that people don't um understand or often know about biodiesel is that it is diesel fuel, just like any other diesel fuel, except for instead of being uh, made from petroleum, it's made from vegetable oil. And mm -hmm. so for my car, there was no um, conversion needed. There was nothing that I needed to do outside of um, change my fuel filter after uh, two tanks of biodiesel got uh, running through it because biodiesel has a high solvency properties that cleans out some of the buildup from petroleum. So mm -hmm. I'm able to switch back and forth um, when needed from petroleum diesel to biodiesel or do different blends. Uh, what's, uh, what's better for the environment, biodiesel or hybrid cars? Or you know, that's a really uh, deep question. And um, biodiesel is not a solution for our environmental issues based around transportation. Um, Hybrids uh, run a combination of electric and gasoline, so they still have emissions. The hybrid technology allows the uh, fuel mileage to be increased, um, usually into the 40 or 50 miles per gallon uh, run. But my biodiesel vehicle also is in that uh, same miles per gallon uh, with the Volkswagen Jetta TDI, the old ones. Um, the game changer, though, in our modern world is um, electric vehicles, um, especially if you can be charging them off of uh, electric energy that you're producing on site. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, if it's, if it's running on typical um, coal-fired power plant electricity that comes from central Appalachia coal fields, where it's primarily mountaintop removal coal mining, which has a, um, a method of blowing the tops of mountains off and filling in the valleys between to extract a 18 inch seam of coal, the um, environmental impact of electricity generation is, is, has to be factored into electric vehicles. One thing I learned in studying environmental science though, is there's no easy answers and none of it is clean. Um, Even our, uh, you know, the lithium for lithium ion batteries are more modern and more efficient battery systems is still a mined product that has a lot of issues around it. Well, biking, uh, bicycle, I bicycle a lot. So that, that's, that's the solution, right? It is. <laughs> Bicycling is a really great way, especially um, if you live in uh, for transportation of individuals and commuting, especially yeah. if you live in a flat land area. It's a little more challenging up here in these hills of Appalachia. I just build up your build up your, your, your build up your leg muscles. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, so you've um, you've had you've done the, you know, you, you've done some interesting things. You worked with the Eastern Band of the Cherokees on a plant project, didn't you? What I did that? when I was um, still in school. Um, I was brought in by my friend Dave, uh, David Cozo the ethnobotanist who worked out in the, uh, for the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Indian on the Kuala Reservation, Kuala Boundary, um, right near the Smoky Mountains. And um, there is a, uh, they have a few um, places around. There's one, there is a demonstration village um, on the, the Cherokee uh, uh, Reservation, the, the Kuala Boundary. And next to it is actually a very old, um, botanical garden that was built and had kind of fallen into a little bit of disrepair and inattentiveness. Um, And so I was hired into walk the property over a series of a few months and document the uh, native and exotic and invasive plants that are there as a uh, precursor to what we at the time were hoping would be a revitalization of that botanical garden. So I got to go visit and uh, take notes and, and look up the, the plants and key them out and um, document it. And I also was given some of the historical documents um, that at the time was just a uh, faded photocopied blueprint of the original planting plan. And I had some friends uh, who worked in um, photo restoration and were able to take that and digitize it and uh, make it a little bit more readable and stronger. So the um, Cherokee Historical Association and the Cherokee Preservation Foundation, which funded that project, have those uh, digital and physical documents now to uh, add to their historical collection. Did they eventually get the Botanical Gardens rehabilitated? Unfortunately not, but I still have hopes that it can be brought up and and I'd love to uh, uh, collaborate with them. I have a lot of friends um, over in, in Cherokee in both uh, Cooperative Extension as well as in the uh, uh, Cherokee tribal government. And so every once in a while we have conversations about potentially seeking funding to try to bring it up. It still is um, operational and, and you can go tour it. It's free to walk around and it has some really neat things, including an old cabin 
and some traditional farming examples going on. So that would be a nice out of the way thing for somebody visiting the area to go uh, go find, right? Not your traditional oh, yeah. tourism thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, driving. And when you drive to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, um, for the most part, you you drive through Cherokee, um, the downtown area, the touristy areas, and then some of the really neat things that they're doing to revitalize that area. Cool. Yeah. All right. So um, I see that you're director of the Cullowee Community Garden. You know, I've been involved with community gardens up here in New York. I was in the South Bronx, worked with community gardens. I was a beekeeper. So I have yeah. a fondness. I have a fondness for community gardens. So tell me what you do with the, the Cullowee Community Garden. Community gardens are amazing. And I've been a... Um, a member of the Silva Community Garden in downtown Silva for 16 years. And um, about uh, nine or so years ago, we had the idea to uh, build a brand new garden on um, publicly owned land, uh, land that's owned by Jackson County in Cullowee. And so I developed a, uh, a project idea. It was basically um, uh, it was a hot summer day in the Silva Community Garden, and I had a, a bit of a vision to um, create a garden-based environmental education project. And so I uh, dreamed it up, I wrote it up, I did a bunch of research, and then I started talking to people about my ideas, um, which is something that I do uh, frequently, um, whether my friends want me to or not. And um, this, uh, this project was actually picked up and supported through the Jackson County Department of Public Health. And I, I really love that relationship and it's still run through the health department. Um, and I am in a, a year round part-time employee of the health department running the garden as a health educator. And through that relationship, I get to use the phrase, a garden for the public health. And it's a really powerful thing. Public health gardening, access to fresh produce, physical activity, it's a really great combination. Cool. Well, when we come back, I, I want to explore more of what you're doing and uh, and uh, and talk about you know some aspects of what people might could visit in the mountains about the botanicals. Sounds great. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Adam Bigelow. So, Adam, we were talking about community gardens. Is that something that people can visit in Cullowee? Is that something uh, they might find interesting? Yeah, I think so. It's really beautiful and um, it's uh, close to the campus of Western Carolina University. Oh, which is really good easy to find. Yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful garden. And the way our garden works uh, really quickly is it's actually one big garden area that we've broken up with a bunch of small individual plots that people from the community adopt. We provide tools, equipment, materials, everything someone needs to grow a garden organically, except for seeds and plants. And um, so people are free to grow whatever flowers, herbs, vegetables they want for themselves and friends and family. And my favorite part about how the garden works is we don't charge any money to adopt a plot. Instead, we're able to charge everybody half of their produce and collect that food and donate it in the local food really to help out our neighbors. Cool. Um, that, that's, I mean, that's a good model, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
So I know also that you um, you have your own business, Bigelow Botanical Excursions. That's How right. did that come about? What does it do? Bigelow's Botanical Excursions is um, uh, where uh, I take people for walks in the woods. And uh, I take people on a slow and gentle walk in the woods that's very accessible to many people. And I teach them about the flowers and the plants that we see along the way. I teach uh, how to identify the plants, some of their characteristics. I also um, share the stories of the plants, which is what really draw, drew me in early on. And what continues to really excite me is, is the stories. And those stories can be about um, human use and connection, whether that's um, uh, edible wild foods or medicinal uses. Um, also uh, uses for fiber or fuel or different things. Um, but they can also have um, stories connected with uh, American history, indigenous people in North America um, and their, their use of the plants and understanding and connection. It can be about the history of, um, of botany throughout the southeastern U.S. And I am um, really something that, uh, that I keep diving deeper and deeper into is the ecological connection between plants, the each other, other plants, and the insects and wildlife that depend on them, including us, depending on them for life on this earth. So it, it's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's a slow walk. Uh, usually um, after maybe two and a half hours of walking in the woods, uh, when it's time to turn around and go back to our cars, usually doesn't take us more than 20 or 25 minutes to walk back to the car. So it is definitely not hiking. I have to ask you, is it a slow walk? It's a <laughs> slow and deliver. It's, it's a lesson in mindfulness is what it is. It's, it's mindfulness practice. It's, it's seeing every plant and talking about every flower that we notice. And, and really just one of my um, big, big goals in the work that I do um, all the work that I do is to try to help connect people with nature, connect people with plants and wildflowers so that they'll fall in love with it like I did. And so that they'll have a bigger understanding of why we want to protect them and save these special areas that have these really rare and special wildflowers and plants. And how long have you been doing this business? I've been doing this for about, um, about five years. And the way it came about, um, was I was approached by uh, Southwestern Community College, our local community college, to teach an organic gardening class. And I had a, a flash thought to pitch them a wildflower class, and they said yes. And so the very first year, I did a continuing ed spring wildflower class, and it was a lot of fun. And um, I got paid a little bit of money to go walk in the woods, and I thought that was great. The very next year, I tried to pitch it again, and they told me I was late. Um, to suggest it and it wouldn't make the catalog. So I had the idea to hold the class uh, on my own and I made uh, a little bit more money than I did through the community college and I liked that better. So uh, I've been doing it uh, every year since. And after that first year of hosting it on my own, I, um, I started offering them not just in the springtime, but throughout the year. Oh, and uh but besides, I mean, there's obviously the walk, but what kind of services you offer to people that uh, 
come to do the tour? Do you pick them up? Do you, or do they have to meet you somewhere? Do you provide lunch or anything? Uh, no, not yet, but I'm working up to some of those ideas. Uh, the way it works right now is uh, we meet every week and right now my walks are on Fridays. And so the, the weekly public walks are every Friday and we meet at a different trailhead or location um, and go for that short, slow walk. Um, uh, this coming Friday, we're actually going to the uh, Highlands Botanical Garden at the Highlands Biological Station in Highlands, North Carolina. Uh, but we meet at different places. And um, my tagline for the business is uh, where the wildflowers are the destination. So yeah. we go to where things are blooming. Um, I, I have people meet us out at the site and I do a morning session from 9 a.m. to 12. And then I get an hour break to eat a peanut butter sandwich. And then I do the uh, a second walk at the same location every Friday from one o'clock till four. Cool. Um, and, uh, and what are some of the other locations besides the Highland Center? Oh, at this time of year, especially, it's hard to stay off the Blue Ridge Parkway. Right. Um, there's so many different uh, trailheads and overlooks that are special along the parkway. We go to uh, Black Balsam area off of the Blue Ridge Parkway. I love walking in Panther Town Valley, which is one of the most special places in all of Western North Carolina. Um, and so really it, uh, throughout the year, my locations bounce around a little bit, um, but uh, really it's, it's all focused on what's blooming where. So I have a hard time like giving a long-term schedule to people because every year in nature is different and the bloom times can be slower or later. And so I want to offer a valued experience. I know that uh, even the same trail can have a dramatically different, uh, you know, people talk about spring wildflowers in the mountain, the Smokies, right? Mm. But it changes based upon how cold it is because, you know, early, you know, the early, the wildflowers are down low. But then yeah. as, the, as it gets warmer up and up the mountain, the wildflowers bloom higher, higher, higher. So you have a long wildfire season, right? It's true. And it's so magical. I actually um, talk about that and call it, I refer to it as botanical time travel. Uh -huh. So as, as early as early February, I can go off the mountain into the um, upper Piedmont and see, uh, for instance, a wildflower called the trout lily. Uh, Erythronium virginiana. And um, so I can see that blooming in the first weeks of February. And then that's down low, maybe lower than a thousand feet in elevation. And I can watch that same flower bloom, which each individual plant maybe only has a two week bloom time. But I can see the uh, remnants of that plant up in the high smokies uh, and, and the 5,000, 6,000 feet elevation at the first week of June. That's fabulous. So how do people find out about your tours? Um, the best way is to send an email to me at BigelowNC, that's B-I-G-E-L-O-W-N-C, like North Carolina, at gmail.com. And then I can add you to my own, uh, to my uh, email list where I announce each week's location. I'm also available to find on uh, Facebook at Bigelow Botanical Excursions, um, and also on Instagram under that same thing. And you can look me up personally on uh, Facebook 
Um, but just uh, beware of my, uh, my tagline on my personal Facebook page is come for the pretty wildflowers, stay for the environmental, social, and racial justice. <laughs> yeah, you put it out there. That's good. That's right. Um, so, you know, I, I want to also explore some other things about you. It's interesting. You're also a musician. It's true. Right. What kind of what kind of uh, what kind of what kind of uh, music do you play? I am a uh, I play the stand up bass in uh -huh. a um, non traditional string band here around uh, Western North Carolina, and uh, we're called Old Dirty Bathtub, and we are um, Western North Carolina's premier acoustic party band. All right. And what, uh, is it bluegrass or is it folk or is it a mix of all sorts of that sort of stuff? It's a mix. You know, if anywhere else, they would call us bluegrass. Um, but in Appalachia, people know better. Um, <laughs> we do a lot of original songs. It's bluegrass uh, as a foundation, but also um, uh, rock and roll influence, hip hop influence, um, jam band type things. And so... Uh, we have a wide ranging influence uh, on our music. And, uh, but our, my favorite stuff that we do are our original songs. And we have, a, we have a, an album that's available on streaming services like Spotify um, that's called Pack Mule that your listeners can uh, look up and find. Cool. Yeah, wow. it's fun. So, and you're a vocalist with that. That's pretty cool, right? You can sing. Yeah, I sing a little bit. I sing the the bass backups. Uh, I sing uh, sometimes, but my bandmates usually just try to turn my microphone off. <laughs> and who are you? You want to give a shout out to your other band members? Oh yeah, they're great guys. Uh, all and and we're really good friends too, and have a lot of fun hanging out as well as making music. And I think that makes the music better. So. Um, Old Dirty Bathtub is made up of Brad uh, Boulay, who is our uh, uh, main harmony vocalist and plays uh, uh, rhythm mandolin. We have um, two really incredible flat-picking lead guitar players, uh, Jared Davis and Neil Lippard. And then our uh, uh, dobro player, our slide resonating guitar player, um, Carter Gigrich is just an, an amazing player and, and they all are just really good at what they do. And we have a lot of fun on stage. Cool. Um, so, um, so when we get back, I want to, I want to, uh, explore a little bit about the music and places to go for that. You, you know, about music and then your ideal itinerary and, and where you live. Sure. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Adam Bigelow. So Adam, uh, I forgot to ask, and it's interesting to me, why'd you call it the Old Dirty Bathtub Band? Well, so, Joseph, <laughs> um, that band name has some different layers of meaning, uh, like a lot of things. On its surface level, um, old dirty bathtub, and there, there's no D in old, it's just O L with an apostrophe. Right. On the surface, it's just a kitschy little country name. You know, you could probably picture a, a clawfoot porcelain tub out in a field rusting away. But 
if you are uh, a fan of or know anything about 90s, uh, 1990s hip-hop music, you might be a fan of the Wu-Tang Clan, Wu-Tang for Life, and one of their members was Old Dirty Bastard, so it's yeah. actually a play on the Old Dirty Bastard name. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so combining old country and new hip-hop, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It is, and it's, yeah. uh, and it's really interesting. Um, we've had lots of conversations about uh, untangling cultural appropriation, and um, to look at the history of music in the United States of America is to look at um, uh, African culture and Black culture being expanded on or, or even stolen or taken. Even uh, bluegrass music mm -hmm. um, from Bill Monroe in Kentucky is a combination of traditional folk music from England and the British Isles and African uh, blues and, and roots music that way. So. Well, but, you know, bluegrass itself was, uh, you know, in a lot of ways evolved from, you know, old uh, Scotch-Irish ballads, but then you introduced the banjo, which was a West African. That's right. That brought a percussion element to it, so. That's yeah. right, and the, uh, the, the musical patterns are based on blues, which are also based on African rhythmic patterns, for sure. So uh, what are your, some, uh, you know, for somebody visiting the area to see some great music, where would you recommend them go? You know, um, in the, in the general area, of course, you can't talk about music in Western North Carolina which, without talking about the incredible music scene based around Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. There are so many um, wonderful bands of all styles of music. There's different uh, venues and clubs and bars and um, folk music out the parks pre-COVID, hopefully post-COVID if we can make it to that. Um, there is uh, all kinds of great music, um, but keeping it local, like I like to do, um, Silva, uh, the Silva area has a really, and for the whole time I've lived up here, has had a very interesting artistic and music scene with lots of bands, lots of uh, creativity. And so on any given night, you can go into downtown Silva um, in, here in Jackson County, North Carolina, and see live music at one of the uh, many breweries, including Innovation Brewing, uh, the Lazy Hiker hosts music. There's um, old time uh, circles and jams that happen in the past at City Lights Cafe and also um, other places. There's weekly uh, produced music events at the Bridge Park, which is an outdoor pavilion and park in downtown. And there's just always has been a large number of bands and different styles of music, um, rock and roll, reggae, bluegrass, jam band, and uh, everything in between. The university um, really brings in a lot of uh, cultural and a little bit of ethnic diversity that lends itself to the artistic nature of our community. So I'd ask you to uh, think about an itinerary. We don't have a lot of time, but well, you know, you live in Silva in the, in the Cullowee area. What would be a great itinerary for somebody coming to discover some things there? What would you do for breakfast in the, in the morning, lunch, and then the afternoon, and then dinner, and then the, the evening? Sure, yeah. Um, I do recommend people come to visit here um, and uh, really just embrace the, the wonderful different offerings that we have. Um, I would start with a visit um, for coffee and breakfast at uh, White Moon Cafe, which is on uh, what we refer to as Back Street. 
but if you type Backstreet into your uh, Google Maps, that's not going to take you there. It's on Mill Street. They're a really great um, uh, small cafe with a, a really um, a very hip vibe. They do really good coffee drinks. They have, are very focused on locally sourcing of their um, food, and so they make great um, bagels. They buy bagels from one of the local bakery places. They they just do a really good job. Real friendly people in that place. And then what you do after that? Where would you go? I would, uh, if it was Saturday, I would walk from there to the uh, glorious Jackson County Farmers Market and go visit our very thriving Farmers Market in downtown Silva every Saturday morning and buy some uh, wonderful produce and breads um, and also a limited amount of crafts, but it is truly a farmer's market. I would look at um, uh, taking a trip down to Dillsboro for um, lunch and visiting um, the uh, Innovation Station, our, my favorite brewery in all of Western North Carolina. And that's saying a lot because we have a lot of great breweries yeah, in Western North Carolina. Have great food, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah, it's great food and there's food trucks. Um, and in Dillsboro is a very uh, cute and touristy town with lots of shops. The Great Smoky Mountain Railroad comes through there. Um, you can see the train, but you can also go and uh, take uh, an afternoon float on the river with the Dillsboro Rafting Company or one of the yeah, other nice, small rafting nice. companies. And the Tuckasegee River, which is the uh, main river that flows through our community, is a very gentle. It's not um, major. Yeah. Excuse me. It's not major class rapids. It's it's very gentle, very family friendly. And then you're um, going to go for dinner. Yeah. After after that, you're going to want to um, relax. And uh, there are a lot of great offerings in downtown Silva for food, but there is none better, in my opinion than the Guadalupe Cafe. Yeah, I love a, that. I love oh, that. Oh, I love Guadalupe Cafe. The owner, Jen Pearson, has been really pushing the envelope on uh, what I believe she calls Appalachian and Caribbean and South American fusion. Yeah. It's like a hippie taqueria. Um, it is uh, locally sourcing and environmental sustainability are a factor in every single decision they make at that place. It's really amazing. Yeah, and, the, and the salsa platter is to die for. So the oh, the salsa platter, fried well, plantains, and the best okra you oh, could yeah. ever eat. Oh, and then man. what would you finish? What would you finish? We got running out of time. So what would you finish out the evening with? And, and the evening, I would walk around downtown Silva and take in the character of the town. I would pop into um, the Lazy Hiker or Innovation in Silva to see if there's live music. And I would... Um, Finish off the evening sitting on the porch of your Airbnb or whatever rental you're sitting on in a rocking chair with the cool mountain air and just really soak up the That's atmosphere right. of Southern Appalachia. Well, thank you. I look forward to seeing you uh, at the Metal Arc, at the Metal Arc Smoky Mountain, uh, the, the Traditionalist Weekend on August 27th. Uh, and you're going to be talking about what? I'm going to be talking about uh, wildflowers of Southern Appalachia. And right. I'm going to do a uh, presentation with some really pretty pictures. Good. I can't wait. So I look forward to seeing you there. I'll be there. Uh, Great. And is any other ways that you want people to contact you or look you up? Um, I really uh, primarily right now, I'm working on a website. I'm working on some of those more social promotions. But um, 
I, I invite people to connect with me through Facebook on my Bigelow's Botanical Excursions page or to send me an email at bigelownc at gmail.com to your, uh, inquire your, um, about wildflower walks. And does your band have a, 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 a Facebook page? Yeah, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And also you can find us on uh, your streaming music services as well. Old Dirty Bathtub. So thank Old you Dirty Bathtub. I'll look you. I'll look forward to see you on the twenty seventh. You Great. can find Thank out. You. you can find out more about this uh, podcast at Gateway to the Smokies fun, and we are also on Facebook uh, at uh, at Gateway to the Smokies podcast. Uh, I am part of the talkradio.nyc network, which is a great live podcast network. Lots of great shows after this. this is one about New York that I advise you to uh, take a look at. And don't forget next week, next we have another show from 6 to 7 on Tuesday night. And then I promise you it'll be very interesting. And until then, I'll, 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 until then, I look forward to seeing you. <laughs>